Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of Troy Noons is an Absolute Podcast. I'm your host, as always, John Casilla, and with me today is Dan Lyons. Hello, everyone. Happy uh, bye week. Hope everyone's nice and refreshed. Yeah, happy, happy... happy. Post bye week, I guess. Yeah. Happy, happy. Hope everyone enjoyed not having Syracuse football in your life for uh, a week. It was nice, uh, pleasant, even. Uh, we had plenty of good football to watch instead, which was really helpful. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed LSU Alabama, as I'm sure most others did. Uh, Minnesota Penn State was a fun one. Um, but again, the, the, the highlight for me was not having to watch um, an inept offense. Um, and a uh, disastrous defense uh, do battle with teams that uh, that knew exactly what they were getting into and exploiting it uh, to the utmost. Yeah, so I, I think it's uh, it's unfortunate that uh, you know we were so excited to not have to deal with uh, watching their football team this weekend, uh, as opposed to like last season when every Saturday was at least you know really highly anticipated and super fun most of the time, or, or even after losses, like we were pretty sure that wasn't going to be the entire season. Um, but, you know, this year we've been treated to uh, uh, all types of uh, different demoralizing losses. So I, I kind of uh, accept that and understand it. Um, but, you know, hopefully the last three games here will, uh, if not like be a surprise bull run, give us at least a glimpse into what is to come for this program in terms of like seeing young players and, and maybe a change in direction for the team after, you know, we've made some staff changes already. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not going to hold my breath. On, on making a ball game, but yeah, it, we can see some adjustments, some improvements, some hints about what's to come um, for, for Dino Babers and the staff and, and the roster that they have in front of them. Obviously there are plenty of players that graduate, but uh, I do think the core of this group is once again, um, younger players. And that means that we could see a lot of improvement next year. Of course, we thought that this year. Um, I, I think that, and I don't want to be like too negative here, but Dan, where do you think the nail gets put in the coffin on on the ball hopes? Think is this weekend, or do you think that SU finds a way to to pull out the Duke game before falling to Louisville, or do you think that they they run it down to the wire before Wake Forest uh, and and their their super powered offense kind of takes us out back? Um, I wish we weren't on the road this weekend. I think if we had Duke at home, I'd be a lot more optimistic. Um, this. You know, I guess we're going to talk about this team anyway. Um, but this new team is kind of reeling right now. They've lost uh, three in a row and four of five, um, I think. Uh, yeah, three in a row and the four of the last five. Um, they were blown out by UVA. They were blown out by Notre Dame. Um, games against Pitt and UNC were a little closer, and they beat, you know, Georgia Tech, who's probably probably still, I don't know. They might, they might, I don't know if they're actually worse than us, but they're in the midst for worst team in the league. So um, Duke's okay. And uh, they had some nice wins early, but uh, this team has probably been a little disappointing from where we thought. Um, but the fact they get us at home, which not a daunting home environment, but still, so you know, a situation we haven't played in super well this year. Um, I think we'll probably get lost number seven this weekend, unfortunately. Yeah, which is kind of a mirror image of what happened back in uh, 2014, another season that we came into with uh, some higher hopes about what was to come. And then Duke uh, was able to put the nail in the coffin around this time on the schedule. That was a game where like, I think that Duke team, if I remember correctly, was better. I think they were like five and they, two or so. That Duke team was um, ranked. Yeah, it was a pretty good team. And we hung with them for, I think, in the third quarter. And then everything just fell apart. Like it was one of those really demoralizing games where you don't look like you're out of class. And all of a sudden, you know, Duke stored, uh, 
I think they had a, did they have a punt return touchdown in that game? That was yeah, like, I think it was that because they it was twenty seven ten was the final, but it was like locked up pretty much through three quarters. Um, we were hanging with a ranked Duke, and that this despite the fact that Austin Wilson and Mitch Kimball split uh, snaps. Yeah, I think that was one of the major Mitch Kimball games when we thought that was going to be a thing. There were so many of those like Schaefer games where like the defense you know held on for a while, and then the offense just. You know, when you when you have short drive after short drive with no points, eventually your defense is going to give up, you know, some plays. And we've seen that a little bit this year, although it's more been the defense giving up stores early and then the offense not being able to come back while they, you know, the defense locks up. Obviously, two weeks ago against uh, the uh, really BC was, was different. But, um, yeah, it, it's uh, unfortunately like half of this year has felt like a Schaefer season and then half of this year has felt like this new thing that's also bad. Yeah, the new thing that's also bad is probably just the most frustrating part for everybody. Like, ha- ha- treading this new ground, especially with Dino, like, you know, there, there's the, the pr- progression that, like, Bill Connolly always cites of, like, you know, year one, you lose big. Year two, you lose, like, you still lose, but you lose by little. And then year three is when you win, and year four is when you win big. And it seems like we, like, did year one and two, for the most part, correctly. And then year th- we skipped year three and went right to year four and now we're at like a year zero which is just again just like you know, i think that's really what's pissing everybody off if i had like I, among so many things but i think that that's that's the big problem that from a perception standpoint is that, that no one was ready for probably yeah i mean we talked about it all the time like we were neither of us really uh, expected a big step back but we thought it was possible the problem is like this year has been more demoralizing than either of the first two babers years because it's just like a, a giant like leap backwards. Like you, you went from like one of the the, the furthest spaces on like the hopscotch board all the way to the start. Um, and even even those first two years, we were being you know outclassed in terms of of talent or uh, you know obviously the, the system wasn't all the way there. And we we had our expectation from the start when Babers basically said like halfway year through year two. Obviously that ended up being more like year three. Um, but we like understood there was going to be a process and it's, it's harder to, uh, sell and Babers didn't try to sell, uh, the process of like, all right, we'll be able to restart from zero and also it's going to look even floppier than year one. So, um, not to like continually rehash why everyone's disappointed, but, uh, it, it is tough. And, you know, hopefully, uh, we, we, now that we're in this like post, uh, red shirt, um, limit time, uh, we do get to start to see some of these freshmen who I, I do think there are, there are reasons to be excited. Um, I know you last week talked about what NC State was doing where they, I think they started an all, all freshman linebacker court in Clemson. And obviously it didn't go well. Clemson destroyed them this weekend, but at least you like see the vision there and understand what's going on. At least you tried to do something about it, which is, I think, yeah, again, the biggest problem not to say, again, not to rehash all of this, but to point out that like part of the reason why people are frustrated is because you're seeing you know, lesser results repeatedly from some position groups and we're not seeing changes. So yeah, like linebackers in particular, offensive line took, you know, a, a program departure to get some new blood in there. And Matthew Bergeron's actually done wonders for the group. And, and I mean, no, it's not the best offensive line, but you're seeing that the only time it's really fully collapsing um, is when it's getting like blitzed heavily or when we have a situation where, you know, like last week where once we lost the lead and like then there was a bowler rolling downhill, DeVito had to pass, play calling became very predictable. 
and we ended up in a situation where like, of course they're going to, you know, just empty it all out on us and, and, and create pressure on DeVito. So yeah, I think that with linebacker, like I know the depth chart that was released on Monday, didn't really have any updates at all. Um, there was one that or was removed and that was it. But I do hope we see um, more in terms of the young linebackers really haven't seen a ton of these guys. Um, some of Jones, obviously here and there, um, but you know, guys like Lee Pogba, uh, even Juan Wallace, who's been on the depth chart the whole time. Uh, there's a few other, even like true freshmen that I wouldn't mind just, just seeing out on the field so that we can, um, you know, Kadeem Trotter is around too. Like these are guys who like, I just love to see out there because it, it it's not that, like Andrew Armstrong and Joaquin Williams, there's reasons why they've struggled. Um, some of them are self-induced. Some of them are just because of the fact that we haven't had the same push up front. But I, I think that at this point, it's worth giving some other guys a shot just to see, you know, what else we can get out of this. Because right now, like I'm, and I know you are too, like it's, it, it's just not going to be acceptable to me at the end of the season if, if very little is done from a, from a lineup and from like a, from a depth chart and lineup standpoint and who's out on you know on the field like having repeated failures in certain aspects of the game like at some point the players that are out there in certain spots are not going to be able to get it done so give some other guys a shot and see what happens because i don't necessarily and i know a lot of people feel this way too i don't necessarily think you should wait until you're three and six back against the wall to make those changes no i i think uh the bergeron change should have been made a decent amount earlier. Like I, I think we were pretty much uh, sold on uh, Ron Alexander not being an answer by late September at the at the latest. Like it was pretty apparent. And and Bergeron obviously isn't you know an All ACC player already, but I, I think he's been uh, pretty rock solid for a freshman playing against some tough fronts. Um, and and I, I think the results have been there. Like last two weeks ago, the the offense was not the main issue. The defense collapsing was. But I thought the offense um, put together a performance or was on the pace to put, to, uh, put together a performance that they could have beaten BC um, had the defense not had like, like a historically bad game. Um, and then the offense was probably negatively impacted by then having to change the game script, not being able to run at all and having to come back from this crazy deficit. So, um, yeah, I think, I mean, that should, you know, the Bergeron move should be an indication of like, hey, Obviously, we want to win games. Like, you, there's no, there's no draft pick. You, there's no advantage between three and nine versus five and seven. But I think the most important thing, if you're not going to make a bowl, is to develop the players now and and try to make up for what you're losing in those bowl practices. So, um, I'd much rather go down with the young guys swinging who are fiery and and trying to make their mark early uh, versus you know just kind of running out the clock with guys who won't be here next year or who we already have a lot of information on. So, I think you just have to be pragmatic, like there's it's a, it's an unfortunate situation we find ourselves in but there is a like situation that's been presented with it to to get some things done and not make these last three games just like a total waste because we know like Baber's gonna be here next year it's not like he's you know coaching for his job or anything you need to uh you need to you know do the best you can put yourself in the best position going forward and and there is like even a recruiting aspect to it I think you can while you can't sell a second winning season here, you can sell like, hey, we just came off a 10-win year. We have some issues. You can step in and play. Look at these young guys who we're, we're getting ready. We're, we're just we're finding guys who can step in and fill roles, whether they're true freshmen like uh, Michael Jones or, or, or Patrick Bergeron or, you know, you're a transfer guy. Like, we're not afraid to plug you in if you're the best guy. So I think you can still try to finesse what we have going on here with these last three weeks into some kind of positive uh, versus just like, 
you know, rolling your seniors and your juniors out there and, and hoping that something's changed after two months when, when clearly that hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I mean, that, 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 again, that's kind of the thing that I feel like a lot of people are frustrated by is, and it's, in a, it's become a major indictment on this era um, among a, a few, I think, you know, red zone play calling being a big one, but this one being another is, is the lack of the lack of adjustments and really just kind of like, you know, running headlong into a, a brick wall uh, eventually thinking you'll eventually get through it. Um, I, I, I do think that, yeah, like these next three games, like, no, they're not Babers coaching for his job, but um, I think that that they have an opportunity to define what the rest of this year and next year look like and, and, and how you're going to restore some faith and, and the tenure and how the tenure is going to look, um, you know, through five seasons. Like, I think there's going to be some hints uh, based on what we see this at the end of this year. Like, to be honest, I'm not really going to be all that like happy or enthused. And I know you won't be and most others won't be if we see just the same guys out there struggling in the same ways without any real adjustment, because while I have some, uh, some faith that, you know, uh, coach Stenard is going to be able to come in and do something with the defense. Realistically, he was part of the same defensive staff that Ward uh, led. He has been part of these game plans uh, in all likelihood. And he's been a part of the lack of adjustments in all likelihood. So um, we'll see what he does, but I, I'm, you know, I mentioned this in the comments. I'm not going to, I'm not expecting this defense or this team in general to improve by leaps and bounds um, just because of one coaching change. I think that it's going to require, um, you know, some real, some real readjustment on, on the part of the schemes and, and the play calling on offense. And then just like the players on the field. Um, so we're, we're going to need a combination of those things. Cause right now, I mean, this, this is the, you know, the shitty part about this season, I think in general too, is that it feels like, you know, the death March, toward not making a bowl um, instead of like a, a season with struggles that maybe you fall short. Um, so yeah, I, I'd love to not just end up at three and nine. Um, it's, it's something that seems like an eventuality at this point. Yeah. It, it's, it's tough because none of these last three games were easy. Uh, obviously Duke, Duke's probably the most wonderful one now after, you know, we thought they might be kind of a sneaky coastal contender. Um, but then wake obviously is, is, probably the second maybe the third best team in the conference as a whole obviously they they just lost to virginia tech pretty badly um last weekend but they you know there still aren't that many other uh at least like somewhat consistent programs in the conference wakes one of them um and uh, louisville is a lot better than people thought they would be uh in year one christoph satterfield he's done i'd say one of the five best coaching jobs in college football this year um and and uh, so much so that he's already, I think he's, I've seen him floated for the Florida State job a couple times. And honestly, for us, uh, not to go totally off topic, but um, I think if you can trade a good coach from Louisville to Florida State as a Syracuse fan, you do it because Florida State's always going to have a big advantage versus Louisville's much more of a peer program. And it would be very hard for them to replace another coach after one year. So um, those are not easy games. Uh, but, you know, if you still want to Duke and then, then at least get something going, at least like make it make it seem like uh, the team is going out swinging. And, and, you know, if we finish five and seven, I think you can at least hang your hat on something and be like, hey, obviously the season wasn't great, but they, they won two or three at the end. Uh, they, they started getting some momentum. They, the young guys look good. Just something to give the fans because right now there's, there's just been so little. Yeah, I agree. Like that hopeless feeling just needs to go away. And, and even if it only means four and eight, like just putting up some fight at the end of the season is kind of critical and, and, and hopefully – you know, we see that in this team. Uh, we're going to get back to football and specifically the Duke game after halftime. Uh, before half, though, did want to talk a little bit about Colgate. 
Um, we're not going to really rehash the uh, Syracuse, Virginia opener. Um, you can listen to James and Bobby kind of talk about that um, ad nauseum. It was miserable. It was ugly. These games aren't fun to watch either. Um, but talking about Colgate, um, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, goddamn Jack Ferguson, man. What is he going to do to us this year? Uh, I really wish the second game was a little bit easier and and something where, like, if you struggle, people aren't going to really oversell it because it's Colgate and not, like, Louisiana Tech or something that people don't relate to. Um, obviously, they're they're down the street. They're, uh, uh, they were a tournament team last year. They almost beat Tennessee, who was very good. They um, I've done basically what you expect from their level of team. Like, they had a close one in Clemson. Uh, they beat NJIT, who's not as bad as they used to be only by five. So I guess like maybe that's uh, something of a sign, but uh, yeah, I mean, they scare me way more than I, than, than the Colgate Raiders ever should, I think. Yeah. I mean, we mentioned this a little bit, like Colgate had a vote in the, uh, it was either an AP vote or it might've been a coach's poll, but I think it was a coach's poll vote, but they got a vote in the initial coach's poll. Um, people are pretty high on them to win the conference. Um Jack Ferguson is a, is a man who strikes fear into the hearts of Syracuse fans everywhere. <laughs> as the as as some may recall, um, a few years ago, Dan and I joked about who will be the um, you know probably scrawny white kid off the Colgate bench who lights us up from three. We uh, we we happened upon the the one the only Jack Ferguson. Uh, he proceeded to score twenty on us and yeah. make that game a little dicey for a few. <laughs> It's it's uh, he didn't truly is willing things special. into existence. It was it had to be two years ago because last year he only scored six. Um, yeah, two years ago was when he scored twenty. <laughs> and it's perfect because he was like the the per, the exact pick for who would do it. I'm looking at yeah, he scored twenty. Um, and when he said the name, I knew it was recognizable, but I was like, I looked at Colgate before, and that's definitely not one of the guys. It's not uh, Will Raymond or uh, Rapolis. Uh, even Austis or Jordan Burns, they have five double-digit scoring guys, so they have like a pretty solid five. Jack Ferguson is sixth in minutes. He is averaging three, three, uh, three point five points, uh, three rebounds a game. Um, he's only he's only shooting fourteen point three percent from three, which makes me think he's one of seven uh, total. But he did throw twenty against the two years ago. Only sits last year, but I think he's prime uh, to to strike back here um, because he's been pretty bad to start the season. Uh, and that that does, that terrifies me. Oh yeah, because Jack Ferguson then just becomes you know the sleeper, and and and, and you know you don't want to when you're Syracuse you don't want to have that guy be so obvious. And uh, yeah, yeah, so just like literally any of the starting five wouldn't be surprising, but but Jack he's he's coming. Yeah, Jack Ferguson is a is is a, a man among boys. He uh, he I I can already see the twenty point game coming. Um, I honestly don't know. I don't know how that we're going to look here. If only because I think it's so hard to really derive anything from a just like miserable to watch UVA game and like UVA drags games into the mud. And even that was kind of ridiculous for them, but I, I don't necessarily know if it's, if that game is indicative of a very good Syracuse defense or just an inefficient and young uh, Virginia offense. Um, obviously, like I think that, you know, Virginia does alter shot selection. Virginia does play very good defense, but I also think that there were a lot of really bad shots taken by Syracuse in that game of their own accord. Um, early in the shot clock, you know, chucking mid-ranges, things like that. So hopefully we see a little bit less of that 
Um, again, I'm going to try not to uh, just assume too much based on what we saw in, in that game. And I'm going to hope um, for the most part that the Syracuse team looks a lot better on offense and, and defensively um, can bring some of the same uh, tenacity that they brought. Because if you can put in a, a defensive effort like that and hold teams, I mean, I'm not saying they're going to hold every team to under 50, but um, if, if you can hold teams to, you know, under 60 all year, you're going to be one of the best defensive teams in, in, in the, the country. And I don't think this group is going to do that, but they definitely look like they definitely look better on that end than I think I, I assumed they would. No, I thought that was like the main bright spot. Uh, and obviously nothing offensively was, but um, I thought the defense looked really good. And part of it was the pace. Part of it's Virginia's time playing low scoring games, but Virginia wasn't getting great shots and they missed a lot of them. Um, we were, they were getting the looks that Syracuse wants you to take. Uh, which obviously they did, they did to us on the other end. But, I mean, I thought the defense looked, like, legitimately good. Um, and, and obviously, as you said, UVA lost their three, like, main scoring threats from last year. Um, so they were pretty green. But uh, it's still a very well-coached, usually very efficient, if not, like, explosive offense. Um, and to hold them to 48, I think, was an accomplishment. Uh, last year, you know, we couldn't do much against Virginia's D, but they also lit us up, so it wasn't like – you know, they're not dragging every single game into this low-scoring thing. Um, and I expect that a Tony Bennett team will, will be, you know, well-coached and efficient and move the ball on offense, even if it doesn't put up a ton of points. So I, I still feel pretty good about the defense, and I'm trying not to overreact on the offense. It was it was a combination of playing, you know, one of the locked-in top five defenses every single year uh, in game one, uh, a defense that, that you know, guys know exactly what they're supposed to be doing. Even the ones who weren't huge players for that team last year are well-drilled in it. Um, and also a team with a lot of size. I mean, Huff and Diatite is a pretty formidable front court um, that our young guys, I don't think we're super equipped to, to battle with for the, on the boards, and that was an issue. Um, so, I, I mean, I who knows what would have happened if that team came in January or February, but at least, like, you'd have a lot of time under your belt and, and – it being game one, I think, did us really no favors uh, in terms of how the fans would react. Um, and this was not a great year for us to open up with a game like that. So it certainly wasn't good. And I understand why everyone was, was, like, incredibly frustrated. But I'm trying to not, like, freak out too much because this team could be totally fine. And that could have just been a really awful first game um, and an awful situation for this specific Syracuse team to find itself in and we can't be in one. Like, obviously, we open up the season the way we do for a reason especially with these young teams, like you, you don't want to be stepping into that kind of situation with a team that's still finding itself on offense and still trying to figure out its rotations. Like this was, was not a good, uh, it just was a bad situation. So uh, hopefully in Colgate, they look a lot more crisp and are able to take advantage of their, their uh, talent gap there and uh, quell a lot of concerns because I also think coming off of the, the way this football season has gone, um, didn't help matters either. Like basketball is supposed to be like the salve, and instead it was like, oh, this is also awful. Yeah, I completely agree. I, I again, I, I think that the Colgate is not a measuring stick by any means, but I think it's a nice, even if they are a better Colgate team than most years, I think it's a nice way to potentially bounce back. Um, I, I think that this SU team has what it takes to, to hang with them from a scoring perspective. I think the defense should look pretty good. I think that's a nice... I think SU can dictate the pace here as they'd like. Um, again, I just hope that the shot selection changes. Dan, uh, before we get to half, what's the final score in the Colgate game? 
And who do you think is Colgate's leading scorer? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think I'll take a two percent. I'm going to stay optimistic. Um, this team hasn't beaten me in the ground yet. Uh, I'm going to go Syracuse 77, Colgate 58. Um, I will not go Jack Ferguson because I can't do that to myself. Um, I chose that Colgate's roster, uh, unfortunately. Uh, one sec. I don't even know who I, – I haven't even done the deep dive. I don't even know. There's really, like, no bench guys for Colgate. It's, like, the five starters, and then uh, Ferguson's, like, one of the only two bench guys who's played in both games. Um, I'm going to go Nelly Cummings. Sounds like he could be uh, – based on nothing. Sounds like he could be in for a uh, a game against us. He's their, their fourth-leading scorer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, his name is Nelly Cummings. I'm going to pick him. Fair. Uh I'm going with Will Raymond. I think that he's a proficient three-point shooter. He's a five for seven. So he's he's not necessarily a volume guy. He's just an efficiency guy. Um, I think Jack Ferguson's probably like the sleeper in this game as well. But yeah, I, I think Will Raymond could. He's averaging the second most points on the team at 16 and a half. So I could definitely see him um, creating some frustrating moments for the zone early on if he finds a way to extend it um, and, you know, shoot right over it. Yeah, certainly hope. Uh, I don't know if the if the zone plays like it did in Virginia. I, I just find it hard to imagine that we're not going to win at least fairly comfortably. Agreed, agreed. Um, Dan, why don't we take a little break for our sponsor, and we're back. Uh, so, what have you been drinking for the past week or so? Um, so, I was at last week. I went to a couple different spots in Brooklyn, but also uh, one of them was uh, I think since we. Spoke last Monday. Uh, KCBC, Kingstown Brewers Sleptive. Um, had some stuff there. Their Ladybug Man, uh, one of their uh, sours, is really delicious. Um, and then I uh, went to the Sampler in Brooklyn uh, and had a, a number of things. Um, a uh, Do We Live in a Society or Spectacle uh, by Root Branch, which is a local uh, brewer here. I think really micro. I, I think they all do. They do all contract brewing. They don't have a, a home base yet, but they do really good stuff. Uh, that was like their Galaxy uh, IPA. Um, I had a Cavendish from Upland Brewing. Um, that was quite good. I had a Matt Fat Fluff from Innerboro, uh, which was a uh, supposed to taste like a had like a weird, interesting marshmallowy flavor for a pale ale that wasn't light. It was super interesting. Um, and then I had a breeze blackberry raspberry from LAC Beer Project, where someone from the brewery just gave a large format to us, uh, which was lovely. So uh, really nice uh, fruit forward sour there uh, that I was not expecting, but he just apparently had nothing had had an extra large format and decided that we looked like the beer drinkers uh, involved. So it was uh, not a bad day last Monday. Very nice. Very nice. Um, on my end, I swung over to Monkish again, um, had their, uh, one of their latest, uh, double IPAs, their, uh, bling bling bon bon. That was pretty good. Uh, had to have some more grande coffee cart cause it was super good. Um, thrill seeker from Beachwood, they started canning it. So I was happy to, uh, grab some of those at the store. Um, also had a, uh, Deschutes fresh squeezed IPA. That's always delicious. And then uh, Abigail Brewing over in Hermosa Beach that I've mentioned a couple times had their uh, dad bod IPA. That was pretty good. So productive uh, weekend, Hi. if nothing else. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do when a team isn't sucking the life out of you. <laughs> you find uh, different activities for your weekend. 
Yeah. Although Saturday again was a lovely day of college football. Probably, honestly, probably the best college football Saturday we've had so far. And the fact that Syracuse wasn't involved actually opened things up. Yeah. No, it made it awesome that I didn't have to book three hours to again hate myself. Um, instead, I got to watch you know the Minnesota Penn State game, the um, LSU Alabama game, and then I watched a bunch of the uh, Oklahoma Iowa State game and the Boise State um, Wyoming game in the uh, in the nightcap out here and all of those were, were very enjoyable and i watched other games too but those are like the big four uh that i got to populate my my saturday with it was it was a lot of fun yeah i didn't actually watch any of boise state uh wyoming after i left following the oklahoma near disaster um disaster for them what i was rooting for iowa state um i didn't catch the late night games because i was watching stuff all day but yeah those were the big three before that and then i also saw a lot of uh basically i watched like all of illinois come back and it's michigan state on the second tv uh as i think they were opposite i think they were opposite alabama uh or they were kind of like right between the the early games and the mid-afternoon games but um yeah it was a it was a really really good day but it, it had a lot of promise going in um i thought alabama lsu definitely lived up and, and actually nice that Alabama made it a game because the, the fourth order was nuts. Um, and Penn State, Minnesota was great too. A, a, kind of a similar deal where Minnesota jumped out early and then Penn State fought back in. But it was, it was a, just a really fun, fun day to see those two matchups like live up since I feel like we've, we haven't really gotten one of those great, great weekends uh, to this point this year. But that was probably the best one we've gotten so far. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think it's been a pretty incomplete um, like season in that regard. We really haven't had like, full day's worth of, of enjoyable um, college football. But yeah, the, the, this turn things around. I hope the rest of the season turns around similarly. Yeah. I think the nice thing though, is even, even, even with that, like, I think we're, we're kind of looking at maybe a, a the most interesting playoff that we've had. Um, you know, your Ohio state's probably going to be involved, obviously, you know, Alabama's out of it, but um, they are on the outside looking in. Uh, and we've seen them make it out of the season before, but um, there's no guarantee they they make it this season, and that'll be their first miss. But you could get the Pac-12 back involved with Oregon wins out, which I think is not a not a you know they're not going to be uh, cakewalking in, but they'll be favored from here on out. Um, and LSU is really fun. I think Ohio State's really fun. So I'm actually like super excited about the potential playoff here. Uh, I kind of hope Georgia gets left out because they're they're pretty boring. They're probably the most boring team that's kind of involved here still. They're like wildly boring. I don't really get it. Yeah, it's Jake Fromm just uh, like does nothing for me. He just I watch him. He's never won a game where he's thrown more than thirty passes, which is bonkers. Like he's just very much like he's you know he's good and he has ability, but he's never won him. He's never like gone out and won Georgia. The game. He's always like kept them in it or uh, you know has done plenty for the defense to to just shut down you know opposite of, but he's never just like put the team on his back and. Um, obviously like Joe Burrow has done that this year, plenty of times Tua has done it plenty of times. Um, Justin Herbert, I think is a little more consistent, but he's been really good all year. Uh, and, and I think he has that ability, Justin Fields, I, we haven't really seen him have to yet, but it's just like, I see those guys. And then from is like, he's fine, but, um, and not to make this only referendum on the quarterback, but just in general, like, I think Georgia's the, the least appealing style of play out of like the six or seven top tier teams in terms of who might make the playoffs. So I'm rooting for uh, I'm rooting for chaos, and I'm rooting for definitely LSU. LSU is so much fun. 
Oh, LSU is a blast. And honestly, like after, like I always liked LSU, but like after going to the game down there uh, a couple of years ago, like I'm always happy to see their fans happy because uh, they were the most, the nicest, the most hospitable people you could have at a game. <laughs> and yeah. They, they deserve I, good I, things. I unfortunately missed the game in Baton Rouge, but I was at the game in Syracuse and like, they were, I mean, they were just really excited to be in like a new place and a, a, a kind of a weird environment for them. And they were, they could have been nicer, the, the ones who I spent time with that weekend. So, and they, you know, just, they, they just really appreciate the team. They haven't been so successful that they're like uber jaded, like Alabama fans are, or like, I don't even know what to talk about Clemson fans. They're like in this weird space where they pretend like they have won a national title before. Um, but no. Constant, I, I, constant disrespect machine. Yeah, they're, they're, they're their own – Clemson fans are their own brand. Um, Alabama fans, like, you just need a lot to happen for them to get worked up about anything. Um, but they, they do have this, like, weird jaded mentality. LSU, they're just – they're there for the party. They love their team. Um, I'm sure there are awful ones because they're awful ones for every fan base. But, yeah, definitely rooting for them, um, I think, out of all the teams that are really involved here. But, but mostly just rooting for good teams. And I think we will get those in the playoffs, even if this season hasn't had, like – the the like rolling amazing weekends like we, we we have in years past yeah i mean i know i've mentioned this before i've even like, written an article about it like how like you know each year usually features like one interloper and i feel like this is like the first year that it feels like there's a chance for two potentially yeah i mean i think maybe lsu kind of is just because of how quickly they've come up and then oregon i think people were writing them off after that week one loss but like they have a chance to to go thirteen and one and have their only loss be by like you know an incredible Bo Nix pass against Auburn in a neutral field. Like that'd be a very very good resume, especially if Auburn's competitive with Alabama. So yeah, I think we could get a probably the weirdest playoff field which I support. Yeah, versus I mean, like your... all, all manner of crimsons and reds and burgundies <laughs> and whatever else that we usually have. Oof. Who's your uh, who's your top four right now? Not not projecting out like the full season's results? Ooh, right now, I think uh, I'm going uh, LSU 1, Ohio State 2, and honestly, I think you can go uh, either either or. I think you can make uh, arguments for 1 and 2, but uh, I think they're the clear the clear to number 1 and 2 right now. And then I'm, I'm probably going Clemson 3, just kind of like Georgia has an awful loss, Alabama just lost and, and doesn't look right. Um I mean, right now, I think I probably have to stick Minnesota four, right? Like, just based on principle, uh, I don't think they're the fourth best team. Um, so I guess if I was if I was doing like the the typical like you actually pick the four best teams no matter what, I'd probably put Alabama four. Um, but I think Alabama and Oregon are very close. Uh, I think Oregon's resume looks better, but then Minnesota's undefeated, so it's it's tough. Um, so yeah, something something in that range. I, I I think if I'm if I'm forced to choose it's the best teams regardless of like win loss, uh, Alabama, but Minnesota is undefeated and Oregon I think is kind of the best like in between of those like resume versus uh, like actual best. Yeah, no, I buy that. I think for me it's you know LSU is a clear number one just based on uh, quality of opponents. I feel like Ohio State has has played a couple teams, but I I think that just LSU's body of work is more impressive from a, an opponent standpoint. That's not to take away anything from Ohio State though. I think Ohio State's still the second best team in the country. Uh, I think Clemson's an easy three um, and then four. Uh, I've got Oregon to be honest. And, and, and this is coming from like noted ducks hater. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely, 
you know, no one's going to tell you that you're being biased towards Oregon. <laughs> yeah, honestly, like Oregon, Oregon like should have won that Auburn game um, in general. Like they've just looked, uh, they've looked really good. And I think interestingly, like though it's complete, a couple of regime changes since that 2014 title game. I feel like they've finally addressed all those issues in the trenches that were such a big problem for them against Ohio state in that championship game. And I think that it's now become a strength. I think that defense looks really good. The offense can obviously still hang with anybody. I think that there's just a really nice right now. There's just a, like they, they they've hung on by the skin of the teeth in some games. And like, I think that those are good tests though. The fact that they were able to eat those out um, shows growth and improvement. And I just think that they've faced a tougher schedule too than like the, the likes of Alabama has. And, and I'm just interested to see um, Oregon on that stage potentially. Yeah. I, I, looking at their, their season, like the Auburn team was basically a coin flip. I, I think they outplayed Auburn. Auburn made the plays at the end. Um, but you're not going to get like too worked up over that result. Um, and then like after that, uh, they had, uh, you know, they had a close one with Cal, but Cal, I think, was still at full strength. And I think uh, I think Cal's a lot of quarterback, and Cal's defense is really good. Um, and, you know, they won by 10. Um, winning by four at Washington, like Washington's a very talented team. They're not, like, as good as they've been, but that's still, a you know, getting a road win there no matter what is good. Uh, the Wazoo game, like, Wazoo's not great this year. Winning by two against them at home is probably, like, the – the weakest result they've had otherwise, but then they just like, they just, what they went down pretty big to USC and then just absolutely whacked them for the last three quarters. So yeah, I, I think you can really not argue with what Oregon's done, especially since that Auburn game and, and, you know, one loss early in the season isn't going to sink you. So um, it'd be nice to get like the Pac-12 back involved. I think the Pac-12 has been sneakily like a lot better than it's been uh, for a few years now this year. So hopefully things uh, oh, yeah. work out and we, you know, a, a one-loss Oregon versus a one-loss Utah in the championship would be uh, a pretty fun, probably the biggest Pac-12 championship we've had in forever. Yeah, it's definitely been a while, in part due to, like, you know, USC sanctions, other crap. Um, I, I think that'd be a really fun Pac-12 title game. I think it'd be really fun to get a Pac-12 team back in the playoff. Um, I, I think in general, yeah, you're right. Like, the bottom of the Pac-12, like, I mean, the worst teams, what, like Colorado, Oregon State, and, like, those teams are still, like, you know, very much in the ball picture and, like, competing for the postseason and playing well on a, on a weekend. I mean, even Oregon State, like, a program left for dead, I think, most years, um, looks pretty confident right now, to be honest. And, like, this yeah, mean that they're I, a bowl team. I've watched a number of their games. Um, Jonathan, A, because I think Oregon State, I, I don't know what their against the spread record is, but I suspect it's pretty good because I think I won like four bets on them this year. But Jonathan Smith is like pretty fun, competent play caller. And they're like, they're way better than people than they should be this year uh, in that similar vein to Louisville. Yeah, which is great. Like, and you know, anytime, obviously we support, uh, you know, random teams popping up and, and making some noise and, and some grabs of headlines during the year rather than just the same four to five. Um, but speaking of different programs, uh, why don't we close out here talking about the Syracuse Orange football team and Duke Blue Devils. Um, as you mentioned before, Duke um, has not looked great for like the last uh, almost month. SU hasn't looked great for over a month. Uh, so it's kind of, you know, two similarly trending programs. I personally don't see us winning this game just because I think um, while Duke doesn't have the same offensive identity that uh, the Florida State and Boston College are able to bring to the table, they uh, are able to put up points. 
I think more importantly, I think their defense is able to um, generate pressure. I think they're able to hold teams um, without like consistently good offenses um, back to some extent. So I, it's not, I don't think it's going to be like, I think SU might actually be able to cover the spread, which opened up at like 10 points, but I don't necessarily think that that Syracuse is going to be able to pull off a win here. Yeah. I, I, it really depends on what this defense looks like. If, if this is a low scoring game, I think uh, Duke is not super, super explosive, uh, nor are they like super efficient. I, I, you know, they, they, they put up some points, but Twin Harris is only averaging 5.8 yards per attempt. The quarterback, uh, as a team, they're running for less than four yards an attempt. So I think if you can kind of hold them out of the, like the big chunk plays, you have a chance of getting the ball back a decent amount. Um, uh, the problem is like our defense is either like great or they are as leaky as humanly possible. It's hard to know what will happen um, with, you know, Stenard stepping in at that interim DC role. But as you said earlier, like asking for some giant overhaul in one of those units uh, after making a midseason firing like that is asking a lot. Um, he was part of the team uh, that got to this point. Really what you're doing in there is just signaling to fans more than anything else that you know something's wrong and that you needed to make a big change. But uh, I don't know that, you know, but but, but again, if, this, if the, the NC State defense or the second half uh, pit defense comes out, you know, and, and hold Duke to 17 points, could we store 20? I think that's possible. Um, it depends on, you know, what the offense looks like. And if the offensive line continues to uh, to get a little better, um, maybe there's there there's room for uh for optimism here um if devito gets some time and and uh I, I don't think duke is going to present the same uh defensive line uh issue that we've faced a lot this year because the acc defensive lines are for whatever reason like the one good part of the conference um so i think that's like the path to a win here is if the defense can kind of find what it had in midseason when the offense is letting them down and uh, just like slight improvements on O-line and not getting uh, overwhelmed by the blitzes that I'm sure will come because that still is like a thing we do not handle. Yeah, that that's really like my biggest concern um, looking at this game because, you know, like offensively, um, you know, like they don't have – like the Dan Jackson's a good running back, but I don't think he's a running back who's going to be able to necessarily tear us up to the same degree. Uh, obviously, A.J. Dillon and Cam Akers in back-to-back weekends. You're looking at arguably the two best running backs in the conference. Uh, well, I'm sorry, two of the three best running backs in the conference, ETN being the other. Um, you know, having them go back-to-back and, and one kind of setting the tone for the other and, and creating a playbook a, a little for the other, um, not necessarily a great look for Syracuse. I think Deion Jackson, who's a, a little bit more scat back, um, should be not held in check, but shouldn't be able to generate the same yardage on the ground. And if he can... Uh, we're in trouble. Quentin Harris uh, is a mobile quarterback, however, and that could present some problems uh, for SU on that front. You know, again, Duke's defense is something that you and I both like um, highlighted at the beginning of the year as a potential problem for, well, like opponents mostly. Uh, Duke hasn't looked that great in the pass rush. Um, you know, they've generated some pressure, but 22 sacks in the year. Uh, that's mostly middle of the road. Um, but up front, they do look capable. I think the secondary, more than anything, is kind of disappointed uh, compared to where it, probably they thought they would be. I think the linebacker plays solid enough. Um, so, yeah, like we said earlier, this is a team that has not necessarily performed to expectations, especially lately, um, but is still, like, sneaky dangerous. 
I, I think the biggest issue is, like, you know Duke is going to be well-coached. You know they're not going to make, like, really stupid mistakes that take him out of the game. Um, they're pretty safe, generally. Team we know. Uh, yeah. Um, I think, like, I could almost talk myself into a win here in terms of, like, if everything went, went right. It's just we haven't seen that since maybe, like, most of the Western Michigan games. So it's it's hard to really sell yourself on it. Um, and if it, if it was at home, I think I would probably be be closer to talking myself into a win here. Um, I do think like ten points is too much. Like this Duke team hasn't really shown uh, that it's gonna blow anyone out, um, aside from Vatek earlier in the year, and that was like their last really great performance. Um, but it's it's uh, it's again not a team that's gonna shoot itself in the foot, and that's I think kind of what you what this team even last year, like the Syracuse team was was really good at making other teams pay for mistakes. And this year it has just not done that same thing. At least not since the first like month of the season when Sisto looked like he was going to pick off, you know, 10 passes again. <laughs> like he hasn't really, obviously there's part of that's just kind of circumstantial, but um, it's just, we haven't got, we haven't been the same kind of havoc wrecking defense this year. Obviously we've done some decent pressure on people, but it just doesn't feel the same. And, and then the two glaring Maryland and BC performances really, uh, kind of take you out of it so um i think it's mostly you know how much do we contain this offense um do we not let them hit on big plays if, if so i think this one should be pretty close and that's what i expect i think it'll be within a touchdown but um just being on the road uh, i haven't seen anything from this team that tells me that they're going to handle that situation super well yeah, I agree with that. I mean, obviously, like the NC State game is close on the road, but NC State is also completely incompetent um, and had a you know third stringer in a quarterback and like still couldn't t- take advantage, mostly by their own accord. Um, I think against Duke, there's a little bit more veteran team and has a little bit more going for it. Uh, I just don't, I don't love what SU should be able to do on offense here. Um, play calling, like we said, I mean, the, the the one caveat I'll add is that like, and you and I talked about this. The play calling looked really good in the first quarter and a half or so against BC um, before shit hit the fan. So I do feel like there's a, some potential um, for Syracuse to be able to, to maybe come out with some tempo, uh, utilize some screens, run the ball. They were running the ball reasonably well in the early part of that game against BC. Like I do like some of the things we saw and if they can just apply those, um, you know, against a team that's not necessarily going to be able to speed them up as much and not going to be able to hammer them um, with a breakout back the way that, again, Florida State was with Akers and BC was with Dylan. Like, maybe there's a chance here. Um, the key, like you mentioned, is really uh, limiting those big plays. Um, SU has thrived throughout the Babers era and even in the Schaefer era. Um, if you could avoid the chunk plays and make teams beat you, you know, four or five yards at a time and then bring them down into the red zone, like, SU's red zone defense, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I think the red zone defense is still pretty reasonable uh, this year because they just thrive in those, uh, you know, shorter field situations where they can't get spread out as much. And, the, you know, some of the talent deficiencies at linebacker in particular um, aren't able to be exploited as much because there's not as much space. Uh, I do think that, like, yeah, if SU can, can find ways to not get beat on those larger plays, um, that's where you could end up with um, a tighter game late. Um, the question is going to be, though, you know, whether DeVito can can excel in that situation, because, you know, as much as I've defended Tommy DeVito uh, at various junctures this year, uh, the one thing he really hasn't done is he hasn't shown himself able uh, like he was last year when I actually felt like the guy had ice in his veins against UNC um, and, and Florida State. He made plays where necessary, like this year when when, when the eyes are on him to make a play, 
Um, he's typically uh, not just not made the play, but actually like done something that's the opposite of it. Um, so I'm, I'm hoping that, you know, maybe we see some glimpses of, of last year's Tommy DeVito this, uh, this Saturday, um, if, if it becomes a closer contest towards the end. Yeah, I, I honestly, like, even the last three games, going back to the Pitt game, I think the, like, early game play calling has been better since that NTC game. Uh, Pitt, we had the really bad drop to start the game that kind of derailed us, and then we had a fumble early on. But Florida State, BC, I think the biggest issue was, like, the defense just couldn't keep things, like, in check. Um, obviously, Cam Akers is incredible and dominated us. BC, there's really no excuse. Yeah, Dylan A.J. Dillon, fine, but, like, there's no excuse to what happened there. But I think the offense is like actually kind of turned a corner. It just hasn't been allowed to like play in a regular game because things have gotten away from it all of a sudden. Um, so I would be interested. I think if, if we can stay in the Duke game, I would be interested to see what like an actual, uh, like what this team would look like offensively if we didn't have to worry about like just some nightmare defensive issue, issue happening um, versus like earlier in the season where the defense was, was, you know, stalwart for us and we just couldn't do anything to help them out. So um, if we get that in Duke, like, I, you know, if we can definitely win this game. It's not like this crazy opponent. It's just um, if you're asking me, like, which team is going to be uh, more uh, just just play its game better, like Duke does that pretty well all year and the, or most years under. Um, oh, God. Uh, Cliff. Um That was rough. Uh, David Cutcliffe. Um it's just like, you know, they're often at a giant talent disadvantage, and that's also not going to be a thing that we have, like, a great edge on them uh, in. So we'll see. Uh, 4 p.m. Uh, midday, so plenty of time to prepare for this one Saturday if you are going down there or uh, settling in for your college football afternoon. I don't know what we're up against in terms of, like, big games, uh, but I don't think there's, like, a ton compared to this past weekend. Yeah, I don't think it's as big as last weekend. I – uh I was really surprised, to be honest, it didn't get the uh, the nooner treatment on, on ACC Network. I was kind of banking on it because I uh, headed to the Clippers game that night. So, but we, we we will figure it out. Luckily, uh, SU's games have been running more in the three to three, like three hour to three hours and twenty range. So out here, it still gives me plenty of time to uh, to get to said basketball game. Always a nice thing to to get things, keep things uh, outside of like the normal college football like. This is going to be your entire life uh, day. So, yeah, we are up against Wake Clemson, which was more interesting before last weekend. Uh, Ohio State Rutgers, which will be a, like, ritual sacrifice. Um, Georgia Auburn is probably the best game. Memphis Houston could be interesting. Texas Iowa State could be interesting. So, uh, Minnesota Iowa. So, there's some stuff here. But, uh, obviously, if you're listening to this podcast, you are only interested in the Syracuse Duke matchup. Definitely. Uh- <laughs> Same here. Just only that game. <laughs> no, no other games. Um, Dan, what's your, uh, what's your prediction for this one? Um, yeah, I like really wanted to talk myself into, into Syracuse winning, but I, I think I called it my shot earlier. So um, I'm going to go, I'll go Duke 20, I'll go Duke 24-21. Fair. I'll, uh, I'm going to go Duke 34, Syracuse 28. Um, I think that things go kind of back and forth. I think SU can't make it happen down 31-28, and then Duke, with a few minutes left, kind of tacks on a, a field goal, and, and SU just can't get it done. I look forward to Syracuse winning like 48-10 to 10 and everyone being like, oh, watch out. 
<laughs> we, we figured yeah, it out. And then getting railroaded by Louisville the next week. <laughs> that would be, I, mean, I, I guess, like, it's better than 23 and 9, but uh, that would be a very serious thing to happen. Like, everyone's like, oh, oh, four and six, baby, just had to win the last two. Oh, no. Oh, no, 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 you're, you're screwed. Um, also, random thing. How uh, how high do you think Tommy DeVito is going to climb on this uh, on this right on the single season uh, passing yards list? And how mad are people going to be if, if he ends up in like the top two? I don't I don't have it in front of me. I mean, I said a couple weeks ago, like DeVito could not play very well down the stretch, and just by you know by the nature of how he plays, uh, plus Dino's offense, like he's got to finish. Is he top five already? No, he right now he's at. 2075, so he's less than 200 yards away from the 10th spot. Okay, so he's not – all right. But uh, what's the – the leader is – is it Nassib? Uh, Nassib's at 3749. Yeah, so he's not going to get that close to that. But if he averages 250 uh, the next three games, which is not, you know, not out of the out of the, the question at all, so he'll finish just shy of 3,000. Um, yeah, so – now, he'll finish top five uh, unless he gets hurt or something. Um, I don't know. I, I think there's, it's going to be a fun divide of people who are saying, you know, well, actually, DeVito was all ACC this year. We just didn't all see it. And then the other people who think who will act like DeVito is the, the only problem for this team and the worst quarterback we've ever had. Uh, when really, uh, as is so often the case in Syracuse football, the truth lies pretty straight down the middle. Um, but, like, overall, I think Tommy's, had moments he hasn't been great uh he's probably been you know maybe mildly disappointing from what we expected but like if you give if you give him decent offensive line play i think he would you know be just fine i think you can win with this you can win enough games to make people happy with the version of tommy devito we've had this year uh and hopefully he takes a big step forward uh late this season and next year but um you know there was just so long where the the offensive line was not giving him any help and you know, that in turn gave him, I think, at least a major reason for some of the bad habits he showed early on. So, um, no, it's, it's uh, I think, whatever happens with Tommy DeVito, people are going to be mad because people are always mad. Yeah, I think that's fair. I, uh, yeah, I think he could finish, if he gets 250 per game, he'll end up third behind Dungy's last se- previous season and then the Ryan Nassib year. Um I think if you looked at, I think if you showed people these stats blind and said, okay, your quarterback's going to complete 64% of his passes for over 2,000 yards, uh, 15 touchdowns, and five interceptions through nine games, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's a pretty like reasonable season. I mean, it's not like eye popping numbers, but it's also like looks efficient enough. And then it just goes to show, like, you know, what bias and, and just a, a soul crushing season does to you. Where then you see those numbers and you go, nah, but like that's bad. Like, that's a, like, could you imagine like during like like during 2009 season, um, like looking at that, that that stat line and going that like and then saying the words like my quarterback sucks thereafter. No, oh, I mean this would be an incredible season for pretty much all of the pre Babers years. Um, but but then like I look at those numbers, I'm like, uh, that's not those aren't the numbers I envisioned for Devito this year, um, just because like. Dungy put up such good passing numbers, and I think DeVito is a more talented, like, pure talent passer than Dungy was. Um, but they're still not bad numbers. They're just, like, they're just weird because there's a little bit of, of like, late game uh, padding going on, and 
there's just the a lot of conference like, help and yeah, the non-conference help, and then a lot of just like games where you just don't think he's playing well, and he has all of a sudden he's like, oh no, he's completed, yeah, he's completed fifteen of twenty-five for two hundred and forty yards and two touchdowns, and I don't know when any of that happened. <laughs> the NC State game yeah. was, was the pure example of it, where he completed like seventy-eight percent of his passes for like three hundred yards, and I could yeah, I, but, I could not tell you a single pass like that that occurred, and I was at the game. Yeah, it's just uh, it's part of it to show that like this offense, just like it, the offense is designed well enough for like these big numbers to happen. It's just like the biggest issues end up happening in the red zone, which is not ideal. Um, and you know, it's been an issue throughout Babers, even last year at times. Like there were red zone issues. It just you know played well enough defensively to not have a matter. Well, the that only much, the but. only play call Babers has ever had. So this is my probably biggest consistent problem with him is that the the only play call he's ever had in the red zone is an Eric Dungey run. Yeah, I think a lot of that's that at Bowling Green, he had a much more efficient, effective running game in general. Yeah. And, like, we saw that late last year, it started to get better. Um, but it still has never really been a strength, uh, especially in terms of, like, he. it's just hard for us to get, like, five yards consistently, which is – at Bowling Green, I think we were they were averaging over five yards a carry, if I, or at least high fours. So that's probably the biggest difference and what has made uh, the red zone a struggle um, outside of just, like, Dungy heroics, which – are, are, you know, you can't just, you, obviously you can't bet on anymore because Dungy's not with us anymore, but um, that was just kind of like a Band-Aid over, like, kind of uh, issues that haven't been made up in coaching and hopefully will. Like, just go find someone who's good at the red zone and just take some stuff from them. It's not that hard. Agreed, agreed. Um, I'm sure we'll have plenty more to talk about on that front um, in, in the coming weeks and months um, on the site here on the podcast. Um, Dan, thank you as always. Um, anything else you want to share before we uh, depart today? No, uh, hopefully uh, we get a win this weekend, and and at least we have something to keep on. I mean, I think as long as we stay at six losses, like you could, there, there's a there's a pipe dream here, and and whether or not we have to get sent to like some really stupid bowl in a far off location, uh, having the bowl dream alive, I think does help. And if we were to we, we uh, reach six wins, uh, six wins at this point, um, I do think that's that's a thing to uh, sell to fans and recruits that we like didn't give up and whatnot. So hopefully that continues on, and we can stay alive for a couple more weeks here. Very much agreed. Um, that was Dan. I'm John. Thank you everybody for listening to train news and absolute podcast. Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes, on megaphone, on Spotify, overcast, stitcher, plenty of other apps and go orange. Go orange. <laughs>